0: Good evening to you all and welcome to this unique event. Tonight we're going to hear some of the most wonderful of all Salvation Army music and we're also going to hear from some of the musicians who've contributed so much to our years of enjoyment and blessing. Our thanks go to Fortress Radio of course for facilitating this virtual festival and bringing us all together this evening. So what other opening song could we possibly share than A Mighty Fortress Is Our God
1: Heavenly Father, we come tonight in celebration of your promise of a risen Saviour. With open hearts, we pray that through the message of music and song in tonight's festival, you will come alongside us individually, in our homes, and join us all together in worship. As we celebrate past performances, we want to take this opportunity to thank you and praise you for the countless blessings that have been received. Tonight, we thank you for the memories but we also thank you for what's to come. We believe you have more in store for our army and take comfort in knowing that there is still more and better to come. Amen.
0: Over the last few weeks, listeners to Fortress Radio have been requesting their special personal choices for possible inclusion this evening. And there have also been votes between favourite items from previous years of Bandmaster or Songster Councils festivals, Gospel Arts and Symphony Sounds, and even some similar festivals from around the world. We're going to hear two of those vote winners right now. First of all, it's Stephen Harper and the Chicago Staff Band, with an unforgettable highlight from 1987, Jericho Revisited, written and conducted, of course, by William Himes. And then we're going to hear the beautiful voice of Jackie Proctor. For so many years, soprano soloist with the International Staff Songsters. And she'll be singing Peter Graham's A Wonderful Day.
2: This is a story from a long time ago how the promise of the Lord came true, how the children of Israel found the promised land complete with milk and honey and a view. To get to this place took quite a little time. It took 40 years to be exact, but a leader like Joshua could get his people there even though a map and compass he lacked. Came. The moment arrived when the River Jordan was in view. Joshua and company were on the east side in a quandary as to what to do. You see, across the water and down the road was the promised land we know. But there was a little problem, a tiny obstacle. It was a city called Jericho. more than a little problem. It's really more of a minor hassle. Actually, it's a big headache. In fact, the city of Jericho was a major obstacle. It was a threat to the future of Israel. Why, this fortress was a classic example of a monumental edifice of logistical impregnability. I don't know if you know anything about fortresses, but I'm talking big bricks. I'm saying big rocks. It was so high, they couldn't get over it. It was so low, they couldn't get under it. It was... So... Steve, I have in my hand the score. (laughs) The score is the band won you nothing. Now, these people have come to hear a clear-cut story, Joshua Fit the Battle of Jericho. They don't need any confusion. They just had an election. (laughs) I think I have it under control now. Yes, sure. I'm, I'm sorry, I really am. Right. Hold on to that. <laughs> you get the picture, though. <laughs> the human odds were not on Israel's side, but they crossed the River Jordan nonetheless. For Joshua knew, and his people did too. If God was with them, they could win with less. So they reached dry land and got organized, but when they saw what they saw, they felt glum. For they discovered when they reached the walls of Jericho, the city was locked up tighter than a drum. Ow! Ow! Ow. Yes, I know I said drum, but that that was merely a figure of speech. A simile, a mere analogy. Do you know what I mean? Ooh! I think they know what I mean. (laughs) Well, anyway, a plan was devised as to how the attack would be made. For six days they marched around those city walls with those thousands. It was quite a parade. I now, oh yes, the seventh day, the day that Jericho would come to an end. The Israelites assembled with their thousands to fight, it was almost too much to comprehend. Imagine, if you will, the seven priests in the front with their trumpets all ready to blow, then the Ark of the Covenant and thousands of men all waiting for Josh to say, Go. Had a different twist so that no one from the city would escape. The army had to march around seven times. Josh, hope by now they'd all be in shape.
3: Seven times?
2: That's right, seven times. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Israelites came around the seventh time the faithful moment was finally at hand. Joshua called his thousands to halt and gave the cue to strike up the band. Wow. <laughs> that needs some practice. That is bad. <laughs> Joshua commanded the trumpets to blow and the people to shout! Down, down,
3: with the walls, down, down, with the walls, down, down,
2: down with the walls. Now by this time some strange things were happening as the ground around the city began to shake. The citizens of Jericho were also pretty shook when their walls began to crumble and break. Now the rumble reached 10 on the Richter scale when those quakes and tremors hit that town. Even Josh was amazed and the people were dazed when the walls came tumbling down! before, this saga is more than just a story from a long time ago. For it teaches us that God keeps his promises, as anyone who reads his book will know. So don't ignore this thought or shove this lesson aside, for to do so, one would be a fool. Just remember it was God who had power enough to give Jericho Suburban Renewal!
3: (laughs)
0: The International Staff Band has had, of course, many stalwart members whose service with the band stretches into several decades. We're going to hear from two of those this evening. Firstly, Bandmaster Stephen Cobb and later, Derek Kane. They're interviewed by a third stalwart, Stuart Hall. These interviews are fascinating and although we can only hear excerpts from them in this festival, You will have the chance to hear the full versions straight after the festival. And I encourage you to do just that. So firstly, here's Stephen Cobb.
1: We welcome our first guest to this virtual festival tonight. Someone who has been attending Army festivals for many years. He lives in a North London suburb where he has lived all his life. His father and grandfather were bandmasters before him at his home corps, And as a cornet soloist, he has performed around the world with the International Staff Band. He's been a member of the Staff Band for 45 years, of which for the last 26 years, Stephen Cobb has been the bandmaster. Welcome, Stephen, and thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you, Stuart. Good to be with you. So, Stephen, your dad also played solo cornet in the ISB, which I guess means that the Staff Band has been part of your life for, I guess, as long as you can remember. Do you have any early memories of attending the Albert Hall and attending major Salvation Army festivals?
4: Uh, yes, I do, Stuart. My dad was in the band for 19 or 20 years. Uh, I've got childhood memories of the Regent Hall weekend, uh, which was uh, in those days of the Salvation and It was a really a bit of a family weekend. Yes. But I also had memories of the Royal Albert Hall and, and those uh, big festivals that uh, during my childhood were very, very significant event in the life of uh, Salvation Army, yes.
1: And I guess, I mean, you You were very fortunate that whereas many people, when they joined the ISB, it was their first time of playing at the Albert Hall, you had the opportunity of playing with the core band, Hendon, uh, before joining the ISB. Do you remember and that? And what, what did you play on that night? I, I do
4: remember it very well. It was it was quite a frightening experience for a, for a core band, and my dad uh, was no longer in the staff band at, at at that time, and so he was, uh, he, he was up there with all those memories of having been in the band. So we, we prepared uh, very significantly for, for that event, I'd only been in the band uh, literally a few months, and the piece we played was uh, Les Conlon's Easter Glory, so that was um, it was really quite special to have that opportunity of
1: playing there. Before we came on air this evening, Stephen, we, we talked a little bit about uh, pieces that have actually had a, a real impact on you whether as a player or as a conductor uh, conducting the ISB. We're going to talk about those three pieces before we hear one of them. The first piece that you mentioned was Prince Thought Variations, uh, which was conducted by Ray Bowes at at the Albert Hall. So you would have been playing in the band then, but obviously that piece had a specific interest for you or a memory. Uh, What was that, Steve?
4: Well, it's it's a long story, and I'll try and be as brief as I
1: can,
4: Stuart. (laughs) But... uh, Uh, We had, on that occasion at the Royal Albert Hall, we had the the Chicago Star band with us. And um, Ray Bowes thought that Bill would come with his band and would be full of personality and full of character. And they would um, play light pieces of music that would be immediately engaging and and everything else. And Ray decided to play something of that ilk. Um, and he'd also decided to, to play this piece of music uh, by Ken Downey, Principal Variations, which was um, in the form that we played it on that occasion. I think it was a 16, 17 minute piece. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a big piece of music. And, and the band, I, I, from my memory, played it uh, really well. And it was one of those occasions where, where Ray committed himself in rehearsal. Um, to, to the piece of music and i i reflect on this performance uh, and i reflect on the work leading up to it as being probably Ray's best work with the band during those years um he was um, he was outstanding in the rehearsals leading up to it mm. and so that was a very uh, that
1: was a very special memory mean in, in playing uh, in playing that piece of music in its original form and uh, the second piece you mentioned was when the ISB uh, conducted by yourself this time, 1996, uh, and we played Reurgen.:
4: Yes, I do remember it and um, uh, listeners will know you will know that, that, that you know we, we make music, music's an emotion and, and what, what speaks to somebody in a particular moment doesn't necessarily do so with, with others. But for me, that was a very special performance of the Zurgum. Not because it was the band that I was conducting, not because it was me, but it was just in the moment. And and I remember the ending. Uh, Again, it's a a very, very, very moving ending. We were in the Royal Albert Hall. and, And there was a silence at the end of that piece of music that was more than just silence. For me, that that ending, uh, with that sounding too pious. It, it, it seemed to be that there, there seemed to be uh, that the presence of God seemed to be there in that moment, mm-hmm. and it was for me in the middle of the band. It was just a very, very moving, a very emotional, and a very spiritual um, sense that I had at the end of that, uh, at the end of that piece of music. So, to me, uh, it was very special.
1: And uh, likewise, I mean, playing in the band that day, uh, yes, I remember the, the absolute silence that went on for seemingly ages after that. Uh, there was a real sense uh, of, of spiritual fulfillment in that uh, that piece. And then uh, our, the final piece that you, you mentioned is from the ISB 120, King of Heaven. That, that has a specific kind of memory or significance for you. Um, tell us about that then, Stephen.
4: Well... As you will know, the, the staff band have, uh, have had the privilege of featuring Ken's music for, for a number of years. Uh, I count Ken as a, as a personal friend. We we have um, worked together on a lot of projects. And uh, this is an unusual piece of music. It's a very difficult piece of music to rehearse because it celebrates different sections uh, in the band. So when, when you're rehearsing this, it, there are significant chunks of time where where two thirds of the band are, are, are redundant, and but um, it is a fantastic piece of music that came out of um, an individual being at his core. Ken Down, he's being at his core, singing "Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven" in, in a very sort of perfunctory, almost dull way sort of, with, with a community of people, and thinking, "No, <laughs> 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 this, should be, this should be sung in a much more." Uh, glorified way and that inspired him to write this piece of music and I've never forgotten that mm. uh, that story that, that he shared with us when he first presented it to us at, uh, at a staff band rehearsal and when you play that piece in a, in a setting such as the Royal Albert Hall it completely validates the, the, the sentiments behind Ken and the motivation behind Ken writing this piece in the first place and then when you add to that the epic nature of the ISB 120 celebration—it just becomes the most unforgettable spiritual and musical experience to be in front of the band and playing at. So for me, that—that's what was really special
1: about King of Heaven, that—that perfect storm
4: <laughs> <laughs> of, of, yes.
1: of emotion. As you say, it's an absolute fabulous uh, piece, and um, I think in, in, it's fitting uh, as we bring this to a close that. We sit back and we enjoy the live performance from the Albert Hall uh, with the ISB playing Ken Downey's King of Heaven at ISB 120. Thanks for joining us, Stephen. We hope uh, we'll have another opportunity at another time. But here for now is King of Heaven by the International Staff Band.
0: A name that you will find as the lyricist in almost 50 songs published in the musical Salvationist is that of Peter M. Cook. In addition, he's written many books, including the biography of Eric Ball. Peter wrote to us recently with this request. May I put in a request for a track from the Festival of Gospel Song in the Royal Albert Hall, 1963 the students of the National School of Music for Girls sang Life in Thee. That's Schubert arranged by Charles Skinner. I wrote the words of this song and the thrill of hearing it on that occasion has never left me. Thank you in anticipation. And thank you, Peter, for all that you have contributed to Salvation Army music over many, many years. God bless you. This is Life in thee. The International Staff Songsters have quite recently celebrated their 40th birthday. Formed in 1980 under the leadership of Norman Bearcroft, they have had only a few leaders in that time, and for many years now they've been ably led by Dorothy Nanskeville, who is our next person to be interviewed this evening.
1: So our second guest tonight is Dorothy Nanskyville, the leader of the International Staff Songsters Dorothy took over leadership from Andrew Blythe in 2003, becoming the fifth leader of the Songsters. Forty years ago, Norman Bearcroft was asked by General Arnold Brown to form the International Stuff Songsters. And to mark the 40th anniversary, prior to the coronavirus lockdown, the Stuff Songsters held a joint concert with the ISB at the Regent Hall, and then a celebratory concert at Fairfield Halls, where they performed four symphonic works, all written for them. So, uh, thank you for joining us tonight, Dorothy, and welcome.
5: Well, it's my absolute pleasure to be with you this evening. Um, I'm really, really impressed with this fantastic initiative um, that has taken place. And in fact, it was really good to reflect on those days when we had three meetings on a Sunday and you had to rush <laughs> back with them forward. Um, I, I seem to remember always feeling a bit ill because my mother kept feeding us. In between all those meetings, but it's been, a, it's just really impressive, and I've heard lots of lovely feedback about what you're doing with Fortress Radio.
1: Oh, well, thank you very much, Dorothy, and yes, I think those days are, although long gone by, uh, <laughs> they're still in our memories, aren't they?
5: They certainly uh, are.
1: So, tonight would have been Symphony Sounds in Birmingham, where both the staff band and the staff songsters, along with other musical guests, perform in that marvellous venue, uh, the Symphony Hall. But let's go back a few years uh, to some of the festivals that took place at the Albert Hall. I understand, Dorothy, that before you became the leader of the Staff Songsters, you had already taken part in some Albert Hall festivals, once as a mass songsters in the chorus, and then before that, did I hear right, there was uh, a singing company involved? Do you remember those occasions?
5: Well, absolutely. In fact, you've made me think about all the occasions I actually remember before (laughs) that. coming to councils with my father as a very young child and just being bowled over by the building and the excitement of just, you know, feeling so many folk from the army all together. But yes, the the other two that I remember was coming uh, from Bristol-Easton. I was in Bristol-Easton song because I think I was a pianist at that point. And we came from one of those great, great, big um, mass choruses. I think it was um, probably the mid-80s. And the song that I remember particularly on that occasion was, there was a, do you remember, they used to use lots of big band pieces yes. and then kind of vocalise them. And it, it was um, Eric Ball's songs in exile.
3: Oh, uh, yes.
5: Press on, press on, you know. And I thought, actually, it's quite a good song to bring to mind at the moment and the days that we're living through. Hmm. I'm, I'm struggling a little bit to remember what we sang with the mass singing companies, other than, do you know, if you want a crowd, have mass singing companies. <laughs> but I can remember that night that the Albert Hall was absolutely full to the brim.
1: So you already had an idea about what the Albert Hall stage was like, but uh, from a different angle. And then, of course, you took on the leadership of uh, this prestigious choral group. Although you took on the brigade in the 2003, so was that the first year that you were at the Albert Hall? Was it the following year that you then sang with the Songsters?
5: That's right. So I took over in the November of 2003 and had, um, I, I was involved at the Christmas event in right. the Albert Hall. So I had a a little bit of a feeling for it then. But the first sort of gospel arts I was involved in was in 2004. And you've prompted me to look at all my old programs, uh, because that year it was called Celebration 125, celebrating 125 years of Salvation Army music. And it was a a bumper festival that night, because there were lots of people involved. We had Marjorie Watson alongside the staff band, Staff Sons, Territorial Youth Band, the Household Trips Band, there was drama and dance from Southend, um, there was members of the Salvation Army Symphonic Wind Ensemble, mm-hmm. and um, and so it was a really, really big event. Um, I do remember being kind of terrified at the thought of it, um, and actually when I saw the programme and I realised that we weren't singing till halfway through the second half, I'm not sure <laughs> that that um, actually calmed my nerves. But it was a complicated day for me because at that point I was uh, working at Wells Cathedral School and I had quite a journey to get up to London. And I was in the cathedral early that day because it was actually our last day of term. And I kind of sat in the cathedral about 7 o'clock in the morning and the sun shone through beautiful stained glass windows. And I thought, you know, it's going to be okay today. (laughs) It's going to be a complicated day, but it's going to be great. So it, it was very special and I thought long and hard about what we were going to sing um, on that particular event, because I wanted it to be something that was easily accessible, you know, that people would know, but that would maybe push the boundaries a little bit of the sorts of things that um, the staff songs had done before. So um, I went for three different pieces that night, um, the first being the Barber Day, Day, um, which many of you would know as um, the, the word, the, the vocal version of the adagio for strings. But alongside that as all we as well, we also sang at the Day of Jubilee, Brian Bowen, and then um a really beautiful song in his presence. So, you know, it's trying I think always to think of your audience. So yes, I was um really kind of anxious, but certainly it was a wonderful experience and I remember it vividly.
1: So you could actually say that maybe you set the bar really high, really with that very first song. Um, I
5: that very first note. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, right. Well, yes, I
5: suppose I did.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So we're going to hear that now. Actually, um, we've got a recording of the Angus Day by Samuel Barber. We hope you enjoy it.
0: It's time for us all to sing together again now. And this song by Dick Crom quickly became a great and lasting favourite. So much so that it's another vote winner this evening. So let's join together and sing I Dare to Be Different. The next vote winner that we're going to hear was perhaps the hardest of all for many of us to choose. How can you choose just one great band piece from all those that we've been blessed with in the Salvation Army? In the end though, this winner received more than double the votes of the piece in second place. And it's Major Leslie Condon's classic, The Present Age. Heard tonight just as it was heard as its premiere back in 1968. And you may notice that there are a few differences between this version and the one that was later published. Here then is the International Staff Band with the premiere performance of the present age. that we just could not miss out this evening. It's bandmaster Richard Carroll of Hyde Corps. He is one of those men who have worked tirelessly behind the scenes of many, many of these festivals. He may have been in the background and rarely in the spotlight, yet Richard has been an integral part of each occasion.
1: So our third guest tonight is someone who for almost 30 years was present at every festival at the Albert Hall, but not many saw him, and to my knowledge he never performed on stage as a musician, even though he was a member of the International Staff Band for nearly 12 years. His work rate was phenomenal. He would be at the Albert Hall from the break of daylight on the Saturday until everyone had left at the end of the evening. As a member of the backstage crew, he was part of the team that made sure everything happened in the right place and at the right time. I'm talking about Bandmaster Richard Carroll from Hythe in Kent. Welcome, Richard, and thank you for joining us this evening.
4: Good evening, Stuart, and thank you for inviting
1: me. There's just one
4: thing. In your introduction, you mentioned I never performed as a musician on the stage of the Royal Albert Hall. And I suppose you're right, because I played percussion (laughs) with the International Staff Band, even though I'm not a percussionist. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Not a percussionist. and Well, we won't go into whether you're a musician as a percussionist, because that could get us into really sticky ground, couldn't it? So, <laughs> So Richard, I, I understand that actually you started out being a member of the backstage crew back in the 70s. Um, so what was life like backstage? Uh, was it just full of coffee breaks?
4: They were quite hard days, actually, because I was new to the Albert Hall, and Norman Beercroft Uh, knew exactly what he wanted how I made it happen he didn't want to know about just make it happen Yes. and I got to know Norman and Jill because I was their stage manager at their Holiday Plus Fellowship at Butlins do you remember those days? oh yes I do 6,000 Salvationists on holiday including a band of 200 and one morning Norman came into band practice and asked if there was anyone who would volunteer to be a pantomime horse and asked if anyone would volunteer. There was absolute silence, so I put my hand up, but nobody told me that Trevor Davis would jump on my back that night. <laughs> Next morning, Norman came back into practice and asked for the horse again, but he also said, we need someone to organize the props. Up went my hand like there was no tomorrow. If you get someone else to do the horse, I'll do the props. And so my time as a stage manager started. Most people have appreciated, I think, what I did. Uh, I've served, served eight generals, and six of those were absolutely brilliant. And, uh, for instance, both General Gowans and Larsen would come and find me and say, when we see you, we know you're in safe hands.
1: So before we came on air, you know, I was, uh, we were chatting a little bit about performances that stood out for you at the Albert Hall or any of these Salvation Army big festivals, you very quickly mentioned that it wasn't easy for you because most of the time you were backstage, uh, which obviously yeah, we, we bow down to. But, however, there were two performances that were very clear in your mind. The first one was Bristol Easton playing Present Age. That would have been Baumasters Council's, I think, 1995. First of all, why was that so special for you then, Richard?
4: Well, on that evening, I think there were three bands on the stage, and, and I think I was making sure that they were safely placed. Bandsmen and women can't sit still. They <laughs> fidget. And I didn't want anyone falling off what is really quite a small stage. Yes. So when the bands were playing, I made sure that I was near them. So when Bristol started to play, I was in the bull run right next to the band. The atmosphere in the Albert Hall that night was amazing. And Bristol Easton played the Holy Spirit into the concert that night.
1: So definitely something that you remember uh, remember very well. I believe, however, the number one performance for you, without any hesitation, was during the ISB 120 weekend when the Japan Staff Band took their stand on the Albert Hall. Now, I think many people will know why that was special, but why was it so special for you, Richard?
4: Well, the JSB had landed at uh, Heathrow on the Friday evening and came straight to hide, and we entertained them for four days. Well, mm. actually, they entertained us. We enjoyed some amazing spiritual moments. They also taught our folk to do origami.
3: Really? But they
4: were just such lovely people, we wanted to keep them. <laughs> Bear in mind, they just left uh, a tsunami devastated Japan. Mm. And their opening number, Stella, which they linked into a march composed by their bandmaster, will always be in my mind, as will the 10-minute standing ovation the audience gave them Mm. at the Albert Hall.
1: So Japan has some very special memories and, of course, as we said, a Japan staff band. So thank you for joining us tonight, Richard, and uh, thank you for entertaining us with some of your stories of uh, backstage management uh, at the Albert Hall and other such festivals. We wish you well, and uh, thank you for joining us tonight.
4: Thank you, Stuart. I have had an amazing life. And all because I said yes to a simple request.
1: Well, there's a lesson for all of us uh, to take on board there. Thank you very, very much, Richard. And so here we are. Here's the Japan Staff Band playing Stella.
0: Now I was at the Royal Albert Hall back in 1977 when a young Scottish lad, Derek Kane, played his first solo in the Royal Albert Hall with the International Staff Band. On that occasion it was The Conqueror by Ray Steadman Allen and I was only reminiscing with a friend about it just the other day, partly because earlier that afternoon my dad and I had been to Wembley Stadium for the football match between England and Scotland. You might remember it was the day when the over-exuberant Scotsman celebrated by tearing up the Wembley pitch and breaking the goalposts. Well, our Scotsman that evening at the Albert Hall certainly represented his nation just as memorably, if with rather more decorum. A year later, at the International Congress of 1978, Derek premiered the solo with which he's probably most well-associated and which we're going to hear again shortly this evening. But first, Derek becomes our next interviewee.
1: Our next guest tonight needs no introduction. He's performed at concert halls around the world and for 43 years held the principal euphonium seat in the International Staff Band. I'm pleased to welcome as our final guest of Fortress Radio, Derek Kane. Welcome, Derek.
4: Well, thank you very much. It's uh, great to be with you.
1: So here's a few questions uh, for you, Derek. I'm thinking that 43 years that you were in the principal seat, what can I say other than, well, what an achievement. I understand that you joined the ISB in September 1976, so that would have been the start of a new season, which means that your first performance with the ISB at the Albert Hall, I guess, would have been the following year, 1977. Of course, the Silver Jubilee concert, commemorating 25 years of Queen Elizabeth's reign. And I also believe that was your first solo performance at the Albert Hall, with the ISB. Um, what did you play that night, Derek? Uh,
4: yes, it was indeed. That was my first uh, experience of uh, the Royal Albert Hall. I was with the band and a soloist. And uh, the solo that I was I was asked to feature that night uh, was The Conqueror by the Edmund Allen. Uh, he didn't always get a get a choice on has gone by. But I was happy uh, to feature that uh, great solo by the great man, The Conqueror.
1: So, that was your your first solo performance at a, a large Salvation Army festival, I guess, and, and it came became the first of many. Now, I can remember things like The Better World, uh, Timepiece, Piece, Shepherd Song, those are just a few that I can remember. Do you have anything that you can remember of those performances, or any other performances?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I was very fortunate to feature at the Royal Albert Hall in every decade I was in the band, which is quite something to look back on. This Conqueror that was just mentioned, 1978 was the next performance, and this was an international congress featuring three staff bands, and also the premier performance of The Better World, and that's probably, I guess, the solo that stands out when I look back on the Royal Albert Hall, a solo that I was playing for the first time, and it was to be played twice that day, in the afternoon and evening concerts.
1: That was both at the Albert Hall, the the afternoon and evening concerts.
4: Uh, Yes, indeed. With the uh, New York staff band and the Melbourne staff band.
1: And as you say, you you actually premiered that solo. So when Norman was writing that, was he writing it specifically for you? And did you actually have a chance to talk to him about the solo in in advance?
4: Yes, to to both of these uh, questions. I remember being around uh, Norman and We talked about the solo, uh, about the melodies that he was proposing to put in it, about uh, the shape of the cadenza, and particularly the Muno movement. I uh, can't remember exactly what, but it started off with a, a different melody in the middle, uh, before we hit on the uh, the lovely melody that became yes. uh, The Better World. And uh, we talked about the shape of the, the solo, what I wanted to do, how I wanted to end it, what key it was going to be, in, all that sort of stuff. Uh, so I have fond memories of putting the solo together uh, with Norman.
1: Well, I think it's very fitting that we should listen to one of those solos now. And what better solo to listen to than The Better World? As you mentioned there, Derek, you premiered the solo twice, if you like, at the 1978 International Congress. And clearly, that solo has become synonymous with Derek Kane. So here's a recording of you playing The Better World by Norman Bearcroft, accompanied by the staff band.
0: together. Just time for one big Mast item. This is what I've been calling the band Mast Chorus All Bells and Whistles item, for many of these were the highlights of the whole evening, and tonight I'm sure will be no exception. Our Bible reading will be followed by Eric Ball's masterpiece, The Kingdom Triumphant. And it just leaves me to say a very big thank you to you all for writing in, voting, and much more importantly, for joining us this evening to be part of this great event. Not just, by far, an evening of entertainment and great music, but an evening of untold blessings that we'll remember for a very long time. So thank you for joining us, and God bless you all.
6: The reading is taken from Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through to 11, taken from the New International Version. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. "'Men of Galilee,' they said, "'why do you stand here looking into the sky?' This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven.
0: And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.